Welcome to My Two Cents Podcast AEW Full Gear Review. I am here to give you the review of AEW's, well, pay-per-view that happened on Saturday night called Full Gear. And I must say that the pay-per-view was quite um great, if not amazing. Um, There was a lot of standout moments in matches throughout this whole pay-per-view card. And there was only a couple dud matches to me. Um, But I'll get into those whenever I... Let me just say this right now. The dud matches to me were duds to me because they didn't they didn't execute on what should have been executed on. And I'm going to explain those reasons and why they didn't execute on them when I get to those matches. Now, to start the show off, they had MJF going against Darby Allin. I said that I had Darby Allin winning the match, but in reality, MJF won the match, but he did it by underhanded tactics. Let me just say this right now. MGF and Darby Allen have great in-ring chemistry. They are able to... They showed off what they can do with each other, and they showed that AEW's future is well in hand. Because MGF, remember, he named off the four pillars. He named himself, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Jungle Boy. MGF and Darby proved why they are literally the future of not just AEW, but professional wrestling. Just so happen, if one of them does get uh, released from AEW, or they do leave, they can go to WWE, and they'll still be fine. Okay? MGF came out in a purple, lavenderish type robe, and it had, like, dangly tassels on his arms. And those things were horrendous. I mean, MGF has had some great ring... Um, Entrance jackets or robes, if you will. Last uh, pay-per-view, whenever he went against Chris Jericho, he had, like, the king robe. And I had no problem with that one. But this month's was... This pay-per-view one was ugly. Darby Allen went uh, away from the traditional black and white half of his face face paint. He went to a blue and blackish. He's trying to mess with the colors of his paint, war paint. And the reason why I think that is because this match was um, personal to Darby, but he didn't allow um, reckless behavior in this match. Because when you saw this match, yes, Darby had his um, technical recklessness by doing the whole uh, coffin drops on the ring apron, uh, doing the coffin drops to the outside of the ring. I mean, just spearing his body through the ropes. But he was more technical with this match with MJF. He didn't allow his anger to really cost him the match as he told MJF last week on Dynamite. Um towards the end of the match, MJF was able to get the win by going outside and grabbing uh Darby Allen's skateboard. And Darby and the referee were watching inside the ring and MGF got in and he just slid Darby the skateboard and he told Darby to hit him. This was very, very reminiscent of Bray Wyatt and John Cena at WrestleMania 30, where Bray Wyatt gave John Cena the chair and he told him to hit him in front of the whole crowd and the crowd was chanting to hit him. But in reverse, in this magnitude, the crowd was yelling for no to Darby, do not hit him, don't hit MJF. And Darby listened to the crowd and he listened to his inner self and he gave the referee the skateboard. And when the referee was putting the skateboard on the outside of the ring, MGF grabbed the dynamite diamond ring out of his trunks and put it on his pinky and nailed Darby in the face. 
and then got him with a headlock takeover, the same exact move that MJF said he would win the match with, MJF did, but he did it by underhanded tactics. Again, this was a great, great match between two young, and I mean extremely young, talented individuals. It just blows your mind whenever you watch this match and do see what they were doing. You even had one point uh, Darby hitting um, MJF with a Yoshi Tonic or Code Red, and we all thought that it was over, but MJF was able to kick out of that. You had Sting coming out to save Darby before Sean Spears and Warlow could even go down to the ring and he'd do anything to Darby because Sting was able to stop them right on the entrance ramp. And also, one little thing that caught my ears, and I don't know if anybody else did, I looked on social media and I didn't see much people really like tweet about this. MJF mentioned the four pillars, right? JR on commentary mentioned how MGF has beaten every member of the four of those four pillars, the other three members. MJ and JR mentioned how MGF so happened to forget one more member of that pillar, and he said Wardlow. And so that tells you that we're going to get an MJF and Wardlow feud somewhere down the line. I know they've been te like teasing the breakup between MGF and Wardlow, but with it, JR throwing in that little nugget that I'm not sure that people caught, but you have to be like a wrestling, like hard fanatic and like a guy that really like picks up these Easter eggs that AEW like to throw at you, you to understand that we're like really getting that Warlow breaking away from MGF soon. Because after this match, you're thinking to yourself, okay, MGF has a clear way to the world title now. Because in reality, who else is there left besides the man that wins the tournament to become the number one contender for the AEW World Championship between Brian Danielson and Miro? That's the only person left in MGF's way. But we will uh, have to see about that. After this match, we would get the Lucha Brothers going against FTR for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. And for me, I had the Lucha Brothers winning against FTR, and I was right. The Lucha Brothers did win by pinfall, however... Um, they pinned the wrong guy. And what I mean by that is whenever we got to the end of the match, it was Penta was the legal man for the Lucha Brothers and um, Dax Harwell was the legal man for FTR. But whenever Dax went underneath the ring and Cash was both underneath the ring as well with Dax, you saw a member of FTR, Cash, come up with the Superana mask that they wore whenever they beat Lucha Brothers to get the AAA tag team titles. You saw Cash come in with the mask and um, Penta hit him with... No, Penta and Phoenix hit him both with the tag team finish, which is the assisted double Tiger Driver. Well, the assisted Tiger Driver, either way. Pin him and the referee count finished it off. And you hear Tully and you hear people like being surprised that this is the ending of the match because Cash is not the legal man. Dax is the legal man. And when Penta went to unmask uh, Cash and he unmasked him, they saw Cash on the floor, like on the mat. And you could just see Tully upset, visibly upset because Cash was not the legal man. Dax was the legal man. So we're going to have to see how AEW on Dynamite fixes this scenario because we're going to see Tully Blanchard more than, less, more than likely like blow a gasket and say that you got... You guys might have won, but you guys won on a fluke and on a technicality because Cash wasn't the legal man. 
Dax was a legal man, so we're going to get Lucha Brothers going against FTR later down the line, and that's going to happen. This tag team match was good. I'm not going to say it was like the best, better than last uh, pay-per-view than the Young Bucks going against the Lucha Brothers in the Steel Cage because that was a completely separate match with two uh, teams that technically their styles like match with each other of last year's, not last year, but um, the last pay-per-view between the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. This pay-per-view, you had two teams that already met one another, but their styles were completely different. And me personally, I, this is no shade to any of these two teams. I personally would have preferred their Dynamite match over this match. That's just me personally. I feel that the Lucha Brothers and FTR could have done way better. They could have watched their Dynamite match and start picking some things out to like incorporate it back here. That's just me. Again, this is not me trying to crap on them. This I, this match still was a great tag team match. I personally just prefer their Dynamite match than this one. Um, after this, we had the AEW World Championship uh, Eliminator Tournament Final to determine who will be the AEW World Champion uh, number one contender between Brian Danielson going against Miro. I picked Brian Danielson, and Brian Danielson won by uh, technical submission when he went, when him and Miro went to the top turnbuckle, and Brian Danielson hit a tornado DDT off the top turnbuckle and was able to lock in the guillotine, and Miro passed out. Um, this was a great, and I mean great. I said this would be the dark horse of the night that would be the match of the night. This was number three. This match was number three of match of the night to me. Brian Danielson has had bangers and fire matches since he's been in AEW with Dustin Rhodes, with Kenny Omega, with Eddie Kingston, now with Miro. And I wanted this match to be the match of the night. But again, this match was still great. But this one, <laughs> there was one match that personally to me that blew every other match out of the water, but I'll get to that in a minute, but Miro and Danielson, they hit hard. At one point in this match, you had Miro, like, literally telling Brian to kick him in the side of the, in his side, and Brian would kick him, like, two times, two or three times, then Miro would kick Brian in his side, and Brian would just drop to the mat, then Miro would try to tell him, come on, get up, kick me in my side, and then Brian would do it, and then Again, Miro will kick him in his side, and he'll drop. Miro didn't have many matches to get to this point. Miro, remember, he replaced John Moxley in this tournament, and he only beat Orange Cassidy to get to this spot right, right here against um, Brian Danielson. Well, Brian Danielson had to go against Dustin Rhodes and Eddie Kingston just to get to this spot that he's in right now. So Brian Danielson already came in with an, like disadvantage against Miro. However, Miro came in with a bandaged um, right thigh, his right thigh bandaged up, so Miro came in also with a disadvantage, so they were kind of at an evenly playing field. So, whenever these two did start doing what they had to do, and I mean, they really started, like, throwing hands and throwing kicks, and, like, it even got to a point that Brian Danielson locked in every submission that he did to win all of his previous matches. He locked in the um, LaBelle lock. Miro was able to get out of that. He locked in the guillotine, not guillotine, but the um, triangle choke, and then he started elbowing Miro in the head the same way that he beat Eddie Kingston. Miro was able to get out of that. This was a just 
This match was just good between two brilliant wrestlers in general. Brian Danielson is a brilliant technical wrestler who was able to strike. Miro is just a straight-up powerful, strong striker that is able to do what he got to do. And I'm just happy, and I am glad to have seen that match. And Brian Danielson won the match, so now you know he is the number one contender. So whoever wins the world championship later in the night, they know that they have to go against Brian Danielson, who is on a hot streak since he's been in AEW. After this, we would get our six-man Falls Count Anywhere match between uh, the Jungle, no, the Jurassic Express and Christian Cage going against the Super Click. I had Jurassic Express and Christian Cage beating the Super Click, and that's exactly what happened. This match was chaotic. And let me say this right now. The Young Bucks and Matt, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole came out in like hot pink, like attire. Like the Young Bucks came out in nothing but like hot pink stuff, while Adam Cole came out in his trunks with hot pink, like writing on it, but black, like the trunks were black. They were, people were trying to like make the connection that they were paying tribute to like Bret Hart in this. And he probably were, maybe, who knows, but. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you had Christian Cage and Jurassic, uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. They all came out in like straight up like blue jeans, but like each one with different things. But like with Luchasaurus, he had like cuts in them, but underneath like the cuts where you would see like human flesh, like you got cuts in jeans. He had it like you will see like dinosaur scales in his. Jungle Boy, he had the regular old human old. You got a cut on your pants. You see the exposed like human um body not the human body but like the leg like your uh he had regular cut out jeans that's what i'm trying to get at and christian he just had regular jeans with no cuts on him he they came out literally in a street fight clothing attire and that's what i like whenever you have a false count anywhere match or you have a street fight you're supposed to come out in street clothes you're not supposed to come out in wrestling attire because you're not here to wrestle you're here to beat and maim and try to do whatever you can to wear out your opponent. And I really appreciate that they paid attention to detail. Um, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express won the match whenever um, they were up on the entrance ramp. And Christian Cage had um, speared Matt Jackson on the ramp. And then he put Matt Jackson's head on top of the steel, on top of the steel chair. And then he was about to hit Matt with uh, Concerto, but Jungle Boy came in and he had to tell Christian, give me the chair, I'm ready to do it. To do it. And Christian looked at him and said, you sure? And Jungle Boy says, I'm, I'm ready, hand it over. Christian handed it over and he said, go ahead, do it. And Jungle Boy had to take a breather. He looked up to the sky. He raised the chair up and then he slapped it onto Matt's head and then he pinned him. Jungle Boy did that. Because earlier in the match, whenever Adam Cole was laid out in the ring and Christian had Adam's head on top of the steel chair, Christian gave Jungle Boy the opportunity to hit Adam with a concerto, but Jungle Boy kind of took his time on doing it, and that cost him earlier in the night. So Jungle Boy had to make up for it to prove that he can do the hard task whenever the hard task needs to be done. This match, again, was chaotic. At one point, in this match, you had um, Adam Cole go out underneath the ring, grab thumbtacks, put the thumbtacks inside the ring, and you had the Young Bucks go inside a thumbtack bag 
and put the thumbtacks inside Jungle Boy's mouth. You had Adam Cole hold Jungle Boy in a camel clutch. The Young Bucks then did their whole usual running the ropes and then kissing Adam Cole on the side of his face cheek to cheek. And then they super kicked Jungle Boy right in the face and had Jungle Boy spit out the thumbtacks out of his mouth. Um, You had Jungle Boy putting Adam Cole through a table from inside of the ring to the outside of the ring while Adam Cole's on the ring apron. Jungle Boy ran up to him and hit him with a hundred Corona from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring. You had Matt Jackson put Luchasaurus through a table by elbow drop. I mean, this match was real chaotic. Even at one point, you again had Adam Cole and the Young Bucks hit a three-way BTE trigger on Luchasaurus, but they were all wearing knee pads that had thumbtacks just sticking out of them. So whenever they hit Luchasaurus with it, they would stick them with the thumbtacks. I mean, this match was straight-up brutal and chaotic. It was not... Nothing like, oh, we're going to wrestle out here. No, we're here to beat each other up. We're here to maim each other. And that's what we're going to do. And they did what they had to do. So again, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Christian Cage did beat the Super Click by pinfall. After this, we had the match of Cody Rose and Pac going against Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. I had Malachi Black and Andrade beating Cody and Pac. I was wrong on this. Cody and Pac won the match. And... Let me say again, I, I know you guys are going to get tired of hearing me say, let me say, so I'm going to try to stop saying it as many times. Cody Rose, Pack, Malachi, and Andrade, this match was supposed to be a great, great match. It was supposed to, but this was one of the dud matches what I was talking about. For some reason, this thing didn't click. All four men are great, spectacular wrestlers. This match just didn't seem to click for me, and it didn't seem to click for fans in attendance. Cody, Pack, those two aren't supposed to get along with each other. And they didn't because during times in this match, you had Cody like tagging himself in and you had Pack tagging himself in. So you had the little like spickle between these two. And even at one point where Pack was getting beat down, I mean, stomped out by Malachi and Andrade. And then he was able to break away and try to make like tagging Cody. Cody was on the ground, like collecting his breath because he got, uh, spinning heel kicked by Malachi to the face. So he was trying to collect his breath. So that kind of put some disdain on Pac a little bit. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum with Malachi and Andrade, they had the exact same thing. You would get those two like bicker with each other and like they would not want to like tagging each other like quickly, which was the dumbest thing to me because you guys were built up. You guys built up weeks with these two literally getting on the exact same page. It should have been them literally the exact same page throughout this whole match instead of them, like, looking at each other just like, I don't, why are you here? Like, I can do this. Why are you here? Why are you slowing me down? That, that doesn't make sense to me when you were building this thing up, this, these two as a legit formidable unit to take out both Cody and now Pac, it just doesn't seem viable to me. I understand you guys just wanted to have, like, a way to, like, throw all these four guys in to one match. You could have did a fatal four-way if you want to do that, which I can see them doing that on, like, Dynamite or whatever the case may be next, but a tag team match with both of these guys, just, like, both of these teams, like, not knowing if can they coexist with each other, it, it just wasn't it. It just wasn't it. Anyway, 
The ending, of, the ending of the match came whenever Pac was able to hit the black arrow on Andrade to get the pin. And then after the match, um, Dax, well, no, not Dax, Cash came down to the ring and he starts stomping on Pac's head and start putting, like, hitting him in the face. And on the outside of the ring, you had Tully hold up Cody so um, Cash can hit him and also Malachi Black can hit Cody in the face as well. So this feud is not over yet. And it's still going to have the inclusion of FTR, like, working with Andrade, or as this instance, Andrade technically being paid, well, paying the pinnacle to use FTR, and Malachi is just being thrown into this, and Pac as well. I get why Pac's in it, because Pac is trying to protect his brothers of the Lucha Brothers, because they are the Death Triangle with FTR working with Andrade. I can understand why Pac's around. But Malachi and Cody just being involved, involved in this, it, it's just not working for me. And the same in the instance also is people are booing Cody. And I understand why they're booing because we want to see Cody flip the switch because it's time for Cody to flip the switch now. And it's better for him to flip the switch. I get it. And Cody doesn't want to do that yet. But it seems that he will likely have no other choice but to flip the switch because he's going to constantly get booed. And this is constantly weighing on him. You can see it in his face. It's weighing on him being booed. Cody is not that awkward of a guy. He was in WWE. You saw him being charismatic. You saw him be evil. You saw him be a babyface. We've seen all these things. We see him in Ring of Honor. He is not an awkward guy. And somehow in AEW, he comes off as this awkward guy now that's in the position of power, but he doesn't want to use his power. And I get it because his character is technically like he reads the Internet. He knows what the people are thinking and he's trying to steer clear of what he deems evil from the past regime. Basically working in WWE as power hungry guys, using your power to get what you want and all these things because he broke away from that and the fans loved him for it. But now the fans want him to like lean into it. And Cody doesn't want to do it. The character Cody doesn't want to do it. So I can see him leaning into it somewhere down the line. Because Cody's going to have to make that change. The character Cody's going to have to um, change and become evil. His wife, all, even on their reality show, his wife says, let's give the fans what we want, what they want. They want me as a bad guy. They don't want me as this uh, good girl. They want me being the bee that... They love to hate, so I so I give it to him. Cody is going to have to take a play out of his wife's playbook. Hey, they hate you. You got to roll with it. So, And I know Cody doesn't want to do it, but Cody, you're going to have to do it, bro. You're going to have to make that switch and flip the switch. It even came again whenever in the match he had Malachi set up for a double underhook. And even on commentary, Excalibur said he might be going for a Tiger driver or he might be going for another move. Who knows? AEW likes dropping these Easter eggs and it's all up to us as the fans to really pay attention to what they're dropping. So whenever it does happen, we can say, oh my God, they were hinting at this all along. So again, this match was a dud to me. It was good, but it was just one of the dropping part points of this uh, event. The next match, the AEW Women's uh, Championship between Dr. Britt Breaker and Ty Conti. This match was good. It was better than I expected it to be. Uh, Britt Baker won the match, and I expected Britt Baker to win. That was in my prediction. 
uh, Britt Baker won by pinfall whenever she hit Ty Conte with, well, she was able to get out of Ty Conte's pinning predicament and then roll her up for another pin of her own and pinned her that way. Britt Baker's whole game plan towards the end of the match was trying to make Ty Conte tap out. She was able to lock in the lock draw once, and then Ty was able to get her feet on the ropes. She tried to do it again, and then Ty Conte wouldn't allow her to do it. So Britt had to go and use the uh, pinning predicament to beat Ty Conte. Britt was able to hit, what, three curb stomps? She hit two inside the ring and then one on the outside where Ty's head hit the steel steps. But Ty Conte proved that she actually can hang with Britt Baker. I mean, this wasn't one of Britt Baker's best matches because her best match in AEW was her um, uh, well lights-out match against Thunder Rosa earlier this year in March. That was Britt Baker's legit best match in AEW. So again, this match was good. Not going to crap on it because I know the wrestling level uh, of Britt Baker and I know the wrestling level of Ty Conti. I wasn't expecting like NXT, Bailey, and Sasha. I wasn't expecting Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, like unsanctioned, like lights out match. I wasn't expecting that at all from this match. I knew what to expect. And even then, this match just blew it, my expectation out of the water. But it still was not like Britt's best match. So again, I'm not crapping on both ladies. They did a good job. They did what they were supposed to do. This match was just great. It was good. After this match, we it's now time for CM Punk to go against Eddie Kingston. And CM Punk beat Eddie Kingston by pinfall. And I had CM Punk beating Eddie Kingston. And this match was, to me, match of the night. And people might say, how can you say that? I'll break it to you easy. This match, from the entrance to the bell ringing to the end of the match, you had fans on their feet chanting nonstop. Fans couldn't wait to see Punk and Kingston tear each other up. You had Punk, a guy that was out from wrestling, that's come back in, what, like September. And he's been in AEW since then. Like, making his goal, like, his redemption story. Like, doing the whole thing of I'm starting from the bottom and working my way up to uh, championship-level material and everything else. So I can say I earned this way up here. While you got Eddie Kingston here, like, being the brawler and the guy that hates CM Punk because CM Punk looked down upon him and he was able to air out his grievance to CM Punk two weeks ago. So this match was literally based off of two weeks worth of anger that Eddie Kingston and CM Punk basically had built up in each other. So, I mean, this match just really proved it that you could have a match built off of two weeks anticipation. If and only if you have the right people to do it. CM Punk and Eddie Kingston were the right people. But anyway, from Eddie Kingston's walk, Eddie Kingston didn't walk down fast. No, he walked down as smooth, as calm as he could, and he had the straight-up just killer instincts in his eyes, and he got into the ring, and he just had waved down for Punk to come out. Punk came out. He didn't do his usual uh, kneeling on the ground. No, Punk went direct. Jesus Christ, sorry, directly to the ring, and he just took off his shirt, and he was ready to battle Kingston. Kingston was bat- ready to battle him and for- before the match even began. You had the referee just trying to, like, 
separate the two so they wouldn't even hit each other. And he would ask Kingston, is he ready? And then he went to Punk's and asked Punk, is he ready? And as soon as he asked Punk, is he ready? Kingston went up to Punk and he hit him with a spinning back fist to the face. Punk went down to the mat and you just started seeing people, certain people were booing him, certain people were cheering him. Kingston didn't care. Kingston had a happy-go-lucky gleam on his face and he just screamed to the sky and then he just looked at Punk's body and he just screamed with excitement because that was mad. That was like 15 years worth of anger and hardship and judgment that he was able to get out on Punk before the bell even started. When the bell started, you mean these guys just started to brawl with each other. This match was not a wrestling match. Yes, it had some wrestling holds in it, but these guys were throwing fists. They were throwing kicks. I mean, this was your prototypical New Japan strong style match, but a lighter version of strong style. I'm not trying to say like, oh my God, Joe, you're comparing it. Just hear me again. This was your New Japan strong style match, but a light variation of it. This was that. Eddie Kingston was able to bust open Punk, and Punk was bleeding. Eddie Kingston grabbed Punk's blood, and he smeared it on his face. This tells you how much Kingston really wanted to beat up CM Punk so bad. And again, the crowd was rocking for this whole entire match. They were rocking with it from the beginning, middle, and end. And this match was literally like the shortest match on the card with 11 minutes. So... This literally was the match of the night because if you can keep fans literally invested for 11 minutes from beginning to end, and I mean you had them already sauce F MJF and Darby Allen going at each other. You had them already go against Lucha Brothers going FTR. You already had them with the Young Bucks and um, Jurassic Express and Christian uh, Cage, and you had them already go through that, and then you had them do the whole uh, Cody, Pack, Malachi, and Andrade, and then... Brit and Ty Conti matches. Punk and Kingston was able to still come out and still grab fully all of their energy from the fan fans and just constantly get them on this constant non-stop boom, 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 action, action, action ride for 11 minutes. This was literally match of the night. And again, I thought Daniel Bryan, no, sorry, Bryan Danielson and Miro was going to be match of the night, but that was not the case. It was indeed CM Punk and Eddie Kingston to me. And if anybody wants to say that, Gerald, that wasn't a match of the night, the main event wasn't a match of the night, I will debate with him. I'll listen to him. And I might say, you might be right in certain instances, but to me, Kingston and Punk was literally the match of the night. Um, but it does end with CM Punk hitting uh, Eddie Kingston with a GTS, and it put Eddie Kingston out. He hit two GTSs on Kingston, but not consecutively. He hit him one time with it after Kingston uh, missed with a missed with a spinning back fist, and then he was able to lay in some knees, knees and like elbows to Kingston, and lift him up and hit him with a GTS. So this puts Eddie Kingston in CM Punk's rearview mirror. So now what's left for CM Punk to do, he more than likely is going to be trying to get on the rankings list for the TNT Championship or even the World Championship. But we shall see what happens on AEW Dynamite when that happens this Wednesday. The next match after this was the Minneapolis Street Fight between the Inner Circle 
in the men of the year in America's top team uh, members, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky, and Dan Lambert. I had the inner circle beaten men of the year in America top team, and that's exactly what happened. Again, this match was straight, but it was a dud to me. This match had, I mean, you had everything. You had Kindle sticks, steel chairs, uh, tables, ladders, even toasters. Yes, you heard what I said. A toaster as a weapon. You had somebody, You had, you matter of fact, you even had Chris Jericho go underneath the ring and pull out a the artist formerly known as Prince, like the symbol. Since they're in Minneapolis, you you get the drift. Um, Prince is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. You get the drift there. All right. If you didn't, I connected the dots for you. Um, and you had the fans even scream out like chant out Purple Rain for this. So this match was just basically a match for people just to gain back their um gain back their energy because they just spent it all on CM Punk and Eddie Kingston's thrill ride of eleven minutes, just constant action. This match was basically a let me up of a breather match for before you got to the main event. The inner circle beat uh American Top Team in Men of the Year, whatever Chris Jericho was able to hit a frog splash on Dan Lambert to win the match. And also, I forgot to mention, this pay-per-view landed on the day of the 16th anniversary of the day that Eddie Guerrero passed in professional wrestling. So all throughout the night, you had people paying tribute to Eddie. You had the Lucha Brothers hit, well, Penta hit the Three Amigos, then Phoenix hit the Frog Splash. You had uh, CM Punk hit the Three Amigos on Eddie Kingston. You had Chris Jericho hitting the Frog Splash. And on the pre-show, you had Nyla Rose hitting the frog splash. I mean, this match, this whole pay-per-view was nothing but tributes to Eddie Guerrero. And it made me really realize something. We are in the age, well, professional wrestlers are in the age, this era, this group of talent. And I consider like 2015-ish, 2014-ish, even to now, this like set group of talent as the talent that had that was technically looked down upon by veterans for saying like you stole moves or you didn't ask my permission to do these moves and da, 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 or you're copying too much of a certain wrestler's move set. Listen here. This crop of talent in for years years to come on, these talented wrestlers are gonna be the guys that are constantly paying homage to wrestlers. And it's being highlighted more now than ever. I don't remember people back in the eighties Saying, oh my god, this is for da 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 that's passed away. I don't remember that. I don't remember in the 90s paying people, paying tribute to somebody unless it was like a dear friend of them and then they paid a tribute to them, but it wasn't always like on the nose where the fans knew it. The only time it was on the nose when the fans knew it was like a day after like somebody passed away, like the Owen Hart tribute, uh, did like the Owen Hart tribute that Monday Night Raw had, or like when Jeff Jarrett, like, locked in like the sharpshooter on Monday Night Raw the night after uh, Owen passed away. Or uh, you could say whenever Bret Hart beat Chris Benoit in their tribute to Owen Hart on WCW, that was a tribute to Owen. Or even in the 2000s, when Eddie Guerrero passed, there was a whole Monday Night Raw and SmackDown episode dedicated to Eddie Guerrero. You had other wrestling companies doing like Eddie Guerrero like tribute shows to Eddie and people probably even doing uh wrestling moves 
that Eddie Guerrero did to pay tribute to Eddie. I mean, you had this pay-per-view had that in abundance, but you got to understand now this group in this groups that come along after the fact will be the professional wrestlers that will constantly pay homage to him. So if you constantly, you might see what five or six frog splashes in one pay-per-view from different wrestlers paying tribute to Eddie all throughout the whole time for years to come on. Shoot, you even get on wrestling in WWE. Sasha Banks, she plays tribute to Eddie almost every match with the Frog Splash. Or you'll see somebody like try to do the Three Amigos. Shoot, you even had Andrade try to pull out the Three Amigos like weeks ago whenever he wrestled. So, I mean, again, these group of wrestlers are paying tribute to wrestlers. And it's just being highlighted more now. And I hope that a whole lot of veterans understand that that's exactly what they're doing. They're not trying to bite. They're not trying to gank. They're not trying to, uh, oh, you're just stealing moves that were famous off of professional wrestlers that are famous, more famous than you because you can't get over. No, they actually enjoy professional wrestling. They enjoyed you. So that's the reason why they are paying tribute or they are paying homage or um, they're giving you your flowers. Well, if you are still here to smell them. To let you know how much of a inspiration or how much of a professional that they actually looked up to you that they are doing your move. Anyway, I just wanted to get that off because that pay-per-view made me realize, okay, I've seen a lot of Eddie throughout this pay-per-view and I understand why they're doing it and that's cool. And I want everybody to understand why professional wrestlers pay tribute to them. They're not just trying to bite off somebody's moveset. They're actually just paying tribute to the wrestlers that they actually enjoyed watching when they grew up and actually made them want to do this. But again, the Inner Circle did beat many of the year in the American Top Team. And in the main event, Hangman Adam Page going against the AEW World Champion Kenny Omega with Don Callis in his corner. I had Kenny Omega to win this and retain his AEW Championship. I was wrong in that. We have a new AEW World Champion, and his name is the Hangman Adam Page. Adam Page beat Kenny Omega by pinfall when he hit two buckshot lariats consecutively. One to the back of the head, and one to in Kenny's face, and he pinned him. This was a great match. This was match of the night number two. This is the second candidate for match of the night for me. Um, You had fans on their feet at the beginning of the match. Then they sat down, and then they start getting on the tips of the edge of their uh, chairs at the end of the towards the end of the match. And then when they knew it was about the end of the match, everybody like got up because they were waiting for the new world champion to be crowned that night. What made it icing on the cake was during the towards the end of the match, Don Callis got knocked out. Uh, The referee got knocked out because Kenny Omega. Brought the referee in front of him when Adam Page uh, was about to hit Kenny with a buckshot Larry, but he hit the referee with it. Kenny was uh, about to hit Hangman with the AEW World Championship, but uh, Hangman was able to duck out of that and hit uh, Kenny with some type of move. But then you start seeing on the apron, the ring apron, not the ring apron, the entrance ramp, you saw the Young Bucks start making their way down to the ring. They're hobbling. Matt is using Nick to help him walk down the ring because, remember, he's recovering from a concerto that he took earlier in the night. They're all banged up. 
And you remember that Adam Page told the Young Bucks that you better not come down here to this ring on Rampage. You better not screw me because if you do, I will, I swear to God, I will ruin you. So you got to remember this as this is all happening. Will the Young Bucks do this? Will they like beat up on Hangman Page because the referee is down? Whenever it's time for Hangman to uh, hit the buckshot lariat. Oh yeah, by the way, Hangman was able to hit uh, Kenny Omega with the one-winged angel. Kenny was able to kick out of that. And then whenever uh, he sat up for the first buckshot lariat, the Young Bucks was on that exact side of the apron when Hangman was doing it. And they just looked at him. They didn't try to grab his foot. They just looked at him with nervousness in their face. And Hangman hit Kenny behind the head with the buckshot. And then he goes to the other side and he's setting it up and he's waiting for Kenny to get up. And you see Matt go to the other side, right where Hangman and Matt and Hangman look at each other. And Matt subtly just nods his head towards Hangman. And Tony Schiavone even picks up on it. He says, Matt Jackson just nodded his head towards Hangman. And then the camera work goes quickly back to Hangman hitting Kenny Omega with the buckshot lariat, the second one, and this time to Kenny's face. And then you see Kenny drop to the mat, Hangman go over to him, pin him, and you hear the crowd just bust in complete adulation and applause for Hangman Page because this has been a legit two-year journey for Hangman since AEW has been built and established to the main product, to the main public opinion, not even public opinion, but to the public. The press conference when AEW was announced, Hangman said that he would be the first AEW champion and he lost to Chris Jericho. So this has literally been a two-year thing journey for Hangman to finally achieve this big history-making moment. And remember, at the um, all-out in 2019, whenever he was going against Jericho, he wanted the Bucks to be in his corner whenever he was supposedly supposed to win the AEW World Championship. In his mind, he would think he was going to win, but the Young Bucks said that they weren't going to be out there. So when Adam Page did, two years later, become AEW World Champion, who was out there in technically, in a way, in his corner because he didn't, because they didn't do anything to screw Adam Page, the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks were out there to see Adam be crowned a new, well, the new AEW World Champion. So this was a whole legit two years worth of storytelling that the Young Bucks and Kenny and Hangman, the elite, were crafting in front of our eyes. You had Hangman becoming a drunk, not trusting himself, to teaming up with Kenny, becoming AEW World Champions, to them losing the belts, Kenny leaving Hangman Page, becoming this uh, wrestling god, this the best bout machine that he was in Japan, becoming the AEW World Champion, him teaming up with the Young Bucks, the Young Bucks turning their back on everything that they value in AEW, and they're turning their backs on Hangman as well. And the Hangman now having to find himself with the help of the Dark Order trying to rebuild him up. And then Hangman rebuilds himself. And now he's at the doorstep of greatness and he now has achieved greatness. That is what happened. That is what two years worth of storytelling has given us and crafted in front of our very eyes. Now that that has been done, Hangman now has to go against Brian Danielson whenever they actually decide that match to happen. 
I can't wait to see it. I thought, again, in my uh, Saturday's Wrestling Highlights of the Week, I thought we were going to get Kenny winning, and then we would get, okay, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, whenever that match happens, we'll get that, and we'll actually get a definitive winner because the world title's on the line now, and it's not just for who is the best out of these two. But since that's not happening, we're going to get Hangman going against Brian Danielson. Whenever that match happens, I don't know. I'm going to be happy for whenever that match happens. I'm going to be, because you know what? Brian Danielson has been having bangers. This is going to be um, Adam Page's first title defense, and it's going to be a great title defense, because I know Brian Danielson is going to give Hangman everything he needs to build up a credible resume as a credible champion. And I know Hangman is going to try to keep up, or even not even say try, he's going to... Tr- be able to keep up with Brian Danielson in the ring. That's just going to be a great match alone. But the story after this pay-per-view, the story leaving out of this pay-per-view, the big question mark is, where does this leave the elite? Because Kenny's going to watch this pay-per-view back. He's going to watch this match back, and he's going to see that the Young Bucks were there. The Young Bucks could have stopped this from happening. The Young Bucks could have kept Kenny as world champion, but they chose not to. They chose Hangman over him. So this is going to lead to Kenny questioning the Young Bucks. And he's going to probably question them, say, hey, I brought you guys back to where you guys were supposed to. I brought you guys back as the greatest tag team on the professional wrestling planet. I brought you guys as that. Remember, before me doing that. You guys were just floundering around. Yes, you might have won the world titles, but think about it. How long did it take you? And think about when you hooked up with me and we became that big family again. We were dominating AEW. I was world champion. You were tag team champions. We were dominating every single Dynamite, every single Rampage. We were the men and we just got Adam Cole and now you guys chose Hangman over me. I can see the whole thing going down. And will this be basically where Kenny Omega takes some time to be by himself? And you got now Adam Cole being like the figurehead while Kenny's gone away, trying to basically recover from this ultimate betrayal from the Young Bucks? Or will Kenny Omega exile the Young Bucks and this will cause some friction literally between Adam Cole and Kenny because Kenny is trying to be like a power-hungry madman while or, or and Adam Cole isn't liking how the Kenny's treating the Young Bucks, and this could make Cole kind of make the Young Bucks side over to him, and basically they super kick Kenny out of the Super Elite. I mean, this is like the this is a bigger piece of a puzzle. Bigger, this is a bigger puzzle now that we now gotten ourselves into, because now with Adam Cole being a W. Now with Hangman Page being a W World Champion. Now with Kenny Omega losing the belt and with the Young Bucks being there, not doing anything to stop it. Where does this truly leave the super elite? Where does it leave them? That's the question. Because remember, we haven't seen Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson on AEW for a minute. And when you think about it, whenever Kenny went to the dark side with Don Callis, those were his two guys, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows. Will we see them pop back on AEW television and join with Kenny to beat up on the Young Bucks because they didn't help Kenny retain his belts? And basically, this would be an infighting between 
the super elite where Kenny and the good brothers go against Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. Will it? I don't know. Like again, like I said, this will be a bigger question mark. And I got to bring this up. Marty Squirrel. He's starting to get some type of uh, fanfare on the internet. He's starting to make some appearances at certain wrestling shows and certain uh, um, God, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Uh, meet and greets. He started to make meet and greets here and there. He's starting to slowly divvy his way back into the world of professional wrestling. So is AEW going to try to sign him on a sneak tip and have him come in and try to kind of like either A, bring the super elite technically together, or either B, be the man that really like puts the nail in the coffin for the super elite. Again, this is all speculations with the Marty Scroll thing, because there has been nothing confirmed about anything with Marty being in to AEW. This is just me just really just going off the top of the dome of what possibilities that could happen. The only thing that is for certain is Kenny Omega is definitely going to have some words for the Young Bucks whenever Kenny comes back to AEW, whether it be this week or whether it be next week's episode of Dynamite. When Kenny comes and really faces with, comes face to face with the Young Bucks over this betrayal, it's going to be must-see television that you have to see, especially if you are a fan of the elite and of Bullet Club from whenever Kenny and the Young Bucks were taken over as the subdivision of the Bullet Club as the elite. You're going to want to pay attention to that. Um, That's it from AEW Full Gear. Oh, yes. Before I get you guys out of here, there was a signing, a new signing to AEW. The newest signing of AEW that technically debuted not in in ring capacity, but debuted in front of AEW crowd was Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal was signed to Ring of Honor, but Ring of Honor did make a big mass cut of releasing its whole entire roster. Um, and they said that they will be able to work anywhere that they want. They are technically still having Ring of Honor shows, and their last show will be on Final Battle in December, but after that, they will be on hiatus until about March or April. From and anybody under the contract of a of Ring of Honor kid, either a get paid out and leave out, or either b you could be with us until final battle. And then after that, you we gotta find a way how we can make a contract or work with each other. Something along those lines. It seems to me Jay Lethal didn't like that idea, so now he's with AEW. I'm cool with that because Jay Lethal is a prime grade A talent. He should have been on WWE television years ago because, again, WWE was like the biggest game in town, but now since AEW is here and they are literally making their own footsteps in this world of professional wrestling, I'm happy that Jay Lethal is there. And Jay Lethal called out Sammy Guevara. So now he will be getting a TNT championship opportunity against Sammy on this week's episode of Dynamite. So I can't wait to see that match because Sammy is still kind of banged up after this uh, street fight. What I am wondering is how many talented wrestlers from Ring of Honor will be going to AEW. Jay Lethal was signed. I'm happy with that. I want the Briscoes to be signed because the Briscoes or a talented tag team, and they are talented singles wrestlers when they want to be. Jay, Le- Jay Briscoe is a former two-time Ring of Honor World Champion, so he can go. 
and he could go with the best of them. Shoot, majority of that roster on AEW has faced the Briscoe brothers, so he he'll be fitting right on in with them. So I want the Briscoes to sign to AEW, and if anything, AEW's schedule works with the Briscoes because the Briscoes are homegrown guys. They literally like to be home. They like they're farmers. They're legit farmers. They have their own farm, their own chicken coop. They have their own thing. So they have the legit their own business outside of professional wrestling. So AEW's schedule where they only like wrestle like once or twice a week and they can go back home. That kind of schedule works with the uh Briscoe Brothers. So if the Briscoe Brothers does sign with Ring of Honor, not Ring of Honor, but with AEW, I'll be incredibly happy. If not, I I truly don't understand why they haven't signed with AEW yet. I'm hoping AEW gets on the phone and works out a deal with the Briscoe Brothers because the Briscoes need to be in AEW and showcase their true, and I mean their truest, potential all on national television before it's too late and they will literally be the biggest what-ifs in professional wrestling. There's a whole lot of what-ifs, but if the Briscoe Brothers never get signed to a big major company, that is going to be literally my biggest what-ifs. And I believe that's going to be everybody's biggest what-ifs if you've been watching independent wrestling for the past, I mean, just since the mid-2000s. Because the Briscoe Brothers have been dominating independent wrestling is literally since 2002 all the way to now and it's almost been legit 20 years it'll be 20 years in 2022 so there you go if the briscoes don't get signed okay why not get shane taylor promotions shane taylor promotions consists of shane taylor calm and moses and also o'shea edwards these guys are big dominant I mean, just like big, bad dudes that can easily get slid into AEW and just run roughshod and just basically be the next faction for this big old faction gang war that AEW basically has where almost everybody in AEW is in a faction or some type of group. So this would be just another one of them, but this one actually has purpose because they are literally guys that hang around each other and they actually can work well with each other and actually do get along with each other. Some of these groups in AEW, you just see them get like thrown all in together. And you're like, well, how does this group make sense? But hey, we'll happen to see when that happens. I hope more Ring of Honor talent is signed by AEW. And if not, I hope the rest of the Ring of Honor talent gets to showcase themselves on the independence. And they probably might get signed to, well, I don't know, Impact Wrestling or WWE. Anyway, that's just food for thought. But anyway, that has been Full Gear, uh, my two cents podcast review and i hope you enjoyed it um you can listen to my sunday episode if you have didn't happen to hear it uh that was entitled told you and it's available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, Podbeam, amazon music and audible uh my twitter is my two podcasts uh instagram my two cents podcast g2 email for anything uh depression uh you want some support you want uh, me just to talk to you, or you just want me to be a soundboard, my email is my2centspod at yahoo.com, and again, you can always email me, and I will at least reply to you, back to you. Um, with that, that has been the review. I hope you enjoy, and Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.